Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. The February 2021 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And I am not alone. Hi, Honey Pie. Hello. Hi, how are you? Uh, This is my wife, Jen, in case anybody has long held the belief that she does not exist. (laughs) I do exist. Bitch. Ah. There you go. There was also proof at uh, Dice Tower West. Yep, where we just got back from. Uh, And speaking of, Dice Tower West is why this is showing up uh, 10 or 11 days late. Very sorry. I like to start out the month, but we just didn't have time in our prep to go down to Las Vegas and had a great time down there. Yeah. And um, we're back now. I'm going to tell you about all the games we played over the month of February. But before we get to that, there is a reason Jen is here. And of course, I'm sure you have heard of the ongoing um, struggles, the war, the invasion in Ukraine. And um, you know, the longer Jen looked at it, the more she realized she wanted to do something, something more than just donating. Um, And so, what she has set out to do is create a new line of her signature Witwat. And here's a whole bunch she made last night and this morning. These are adorable little alien critters. No two are ever alike. They're kind of, you know, they they evolve. The glass takes them and they kind of grow in her hands (laughs) while she's melting them in, um, you know temperatures of over a thousand degrees uh you know harnessing the power of fire and so (laughs) this new line that she is making are all colored blue and yellow the ukrainian flag colors and what jen is doing for the month of march if you pick up any of these from her etsy shop 100 percent of the proceeds will go to care.org now, if you're interested in getting those, let me put that on screen. HTTP colon slash slash ukraine.rado.com. Go to that link. It'll take you to her Etsy store, and uh, you can uh, go shopping. Bear in mind, while you're ordering, you might want to, during the checkout process, when the little comment box comes up, type in the word Everdell. Because if you do, in addition to um, cool, one-of-a-kind, um, you know, uh, Witwat, which is what these are called. What in the world is that? It's a Witwat. Or a wit, a wit, wit. You will also get a limited edition Rado runs through promo set of cards for Everdell, and uh, free of charge. Yep. So when you're checking out, type in Everdell in the comment field. You can go to down there at the bottom of the screen, Ukraine.rado.com, or you can hit that I in the top right corner of the screen and follow the link that way. And uh, you can literally help my wife save lives. Um, and I know Jen's here because. Uh, she didn't want to do the sales pitch, but she just wanted to... She, she actually said, hey, say this and this and this. And I'm like, honey, I think it's better if you come on and say it. So I will turn it yeah. over to her now. Okay, cool. Well, I just, you know, there is just so much going on. And when we were in um, Vegas, we did look up and see some different charities that were um, helping people in the Ukraine. And this one that we selected is um, by... Uh, also recommended by... Yeah, uh, we're, uh, all the donations go to the Ukrainian relief effort from care.org. Yeah, K-A-R-E.org. And as Jen no, says, it was recommended C-A-R-E by... C-A-R-E.org. Oh, did I say K? Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, I make goofs, folks. It's good to have somebody goof check me. Yeah. Um, it was recommended by Ignacy Trevcek, who is you know the head designer, creative director of Portal Games in in Poland. So, and yeah. you know he he knows personally people who are going through this. He worked with iGames, a very successful Ukrainian board game publisher. So you know this was a recommendation, Care.org, that he stands by, and we thought if it's good enough for Ignacy, it's good enough for us. So yeah. again, a hundred percent of the proceeds for the sale of these goes to Care.org. Uh, uh, Ukraine humanitarian efforts. Yep, yep, yep. So um, the the thing is, you know, there's not a lot that the average American can do right now to help other than just give money to them. And I, you know, especially after being in Vegas and being away from home and all the things that I love and um, give me comfort and everything, it was so nice to come home and just look around at all of the wonderful, amazing things that are in my life. I mean, my stash of tea, my dogs, my nice comfy bed, um, you know, the hair stuff I like to shower with. And, you know, I mean, just all of these little tiny things that, you know, all combine to make up an amazing life mm -hmm. that makes me happy. And these people in the Ukraine right now, they don't have any of that. Yeah. They have no, none of those comforts and let alone their being killed yeah, yeah and on the run and uh, it's just awful and so i was thinking what can i do and this is something that i can do and i'm so grateful that i've got a studio upstairs where i could just you know sit there in my happy place and i can make these things and um and hopefully benefit these other people and so i'm not a politician i'm not a soldier i there's really nothing else that i can do but i can do this mm -hmm. and um i'm so pleased that there's been um a real response yeah a lot of support from gamers and i haven't even pr i haven't done any promotion on my stuff it's all been your yeah, yeah. stuff so that's fantastic and i really appreciate it and i'm going to work really hard to make these great for you guys and we're going to send off like i said all of the proceeds everything but the etsy fees and the um you know credit card processing those um yeah yep so we'll send it all off to the care.org yeah so you're basically donating your month uh of your life to making these i mean I, we we mentioned it a couple days ago you've already had what like I don't even know. Don't even know how many orders they're yeah, coming in fast. The listing you can buy one or you can buy like six. Oh, so yeah. and some people have bought six. Right, because they're great gifts, folks. <laughs> and um, you know, also they're just great gamer accessories too. They're really wonderful for keeping score track or first player markers, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, are there little cute little plant buddies, or you can put them next to your computer and they yeah, just yeah, make yeah. you smile, hopefully, mm -hmm. and. Yeah. Remind you that you're not in a war zone. Yeah, yeah. And that you help somebody <laughs> and, who was. Yes, and that you help somebody. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. the main thing. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that was all I really wanted to say. Um, I've got a whole bunch of orders yeah. that I just keep rolling in. So I'm going to say goodbye and yep. go back upstairs and make some more. Okay, honey pie. Okay. Her, her first and probably last appearance on the uh, monthly roundup. You're but uh, yeah. So. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And and thanks to everybody who um you know who who has the wherewithal to be able to to support Jen's efforts. If you can't, it's totally understandable, of course, but uh yeah, I mean we, we came back and just realized we are so lucky and what can we do? And and Jen, I mean, this has just changed the way she looks at her work. It's like fundamentally affected her on such a deep level. The uh incredible amount of support we've gotten, just because I mentioned it in the R and R show the other day and the Arc Nova video I did put up this morning. So, um, don't worry, folks, you're not gonna be hearing about this nonstop, but uh Thank you uh, for supporting her in her efforts to support the people who need us the most. And scene. Okay, folks, now, are you ready to talk about some games? I imagine so. That's probably what you signed up for today. So let's get right to it. As always, I'm going to be counting down the games Jen and I played. But before we get to that, I've got to talk about, or I don't have to talk about, Shay, my number one contributor to the channel, played a few games and did some run-throughs for him too. So uh, without further ado... Take it away, Shay. 
Hey folks, so I covered three games this month and uh, I really liked all of them, but of course we must rank these things. So uh, my number three game was Assault on Doomrock Ultimate Edition. This is a paid preview and this is a uh, remake of a previous game. I haven't played the original, but I really liked this new version. Uh, it is sort of a, a short form campaign RPG in that you play in a three act structure and it really reminded me of roguelike video games. You know, it's got this fantasy RPG setting. You pick a class, you get a random attribute and you start with some skills for that class, but you can upgrade uh, yourself with new skills and new items, and it comes from a big deck of tons of different options, which means that as you're playing, you do end up uh, finding some things that are a lot more valuable than others, depending on you know your current run. And for fans of roguelikes, that's going to be a big draw because it's always going to be different. For people who are a little bit less interested in that, maybe it's not going to hit quite as hard. But I also really liked the... Uh, two-part structure of the game. Like I said, it, it plays out in three acts. Each act is an adventure phase and then a combat phase. And the adventure phase is cool. You walk around town and, and you know, do little like side quests and stuff. But I really like the combat because it has this, this interesting kind of stripped down mentality to it. Everything's with like poker chips. It kind of reminds me of too many bones in that way. And the opponents, you don't have to worry about like a hex grid or anything, any positional movement. Everything is either uh, next to you, it's either adjacent to you or it's distant. And so if you want to move to something, you just move to it. Uh, it doesn't matter how far away it is. Uh, it, you just go there. And then things are in groups and everything in a group is adjacent to each other. It all just works really well. So the combat, even though I felt was fairly deep, also was easy to understand because the it was, uh, you know, pretty straightforward and pretty, you know, like I said, kind of stripped down in that way. The only reason it's at the, the low end of my uh, of my list is that it can be a tiny bit uneven, you know, as roguelikes often are, uh, because... It depends a little bit on the luck of the draw for the, you know, the items and stuff that you get. But I do really like it regardless. Now, my number two is Dunhuang. And I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. Apologies if I am. Uh, this is another uh, another uh, commissioned um, piece or another uh, paid preview, I should say. And this was... This is a an economic game uh, about Dunhuang, which is a, a city, I believe, in China. Uh, it's sort of on the crossroads of a bunch of different trade routes, which means a lot of different, you know, uh, mercantiles and stuff get uh, passed through there. What that means for the game is that every time you play, you are going to pick three modules, and each module is a different kind of good. So there's things like silk and jade and gold and you know, uh, porcelain china. So. That's cool and all, but what it means is that there are different rules for each module. So every time you play, it's slightly different. Now, there's this you know, kind of standard uh, worker placement economic game as the bones of it. And then on top of that, you always add on three modules every time you play. So I think that does a really good job of making sure that every game feels a little bit different. Every game that I played uh, worked really well together. I didn't find any combinations that you know didn't work together. I also thought that it worked uh, well at you know from two players to four because it does change the game a little bit depending on your player count. With two players, it's much more of a tug of war, but it's actually three different tug of wars or four different tug of wars uh, because you have the three modules and then there's one um, sort of generic thing, a bunch of different like objectives that you're working for. Uh, whereas with a multiplayer game it's a it's a more broad objective system and uh, everyone can get points in different ways so i think there's a, a lot to like there the only thing i would say about it is that it can be a little bit difficult to learn everything every time you play you kind of got to learn a new system with what if you're trying new modules out but it wasn't that hard for me to learn and i really appreciated how different each uh 
each version of the game could be. So that was my number two, Dun Huang. But my number one, uh, another paid preview, uh, is Tidal Blades Rise of the Unfolders. Man, did I love this game. I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. It is just good. It's a campaign RPG that uses the art from the original Tidal Blades game, or, uh, I mean, there's new art as well. It's all from the same world, though. And if you haven't played the original Tidal Blades game, that's fine. It shares no gameplay mechanics with that original game, or virtually none. It is a completely separate game. So you don't need to play the first one to get into the second one, even though it's a, the second one is a story RPG. If you play the first one, you might have a better appreciation for it, but it's not necessary. Which is great for me. Like I hadn't played the first one until about a week before I played Rise of the Unfolders. Um, I liked that I played the, the first one, but like I said, not necessary. Anyway, the uh, Rise of the Unfolders is really, really solid campaign RPG. It's one of those games that really makes me wish that I had the time to go through the full campaign because I would absolutely do it. I, it's it's the campaign itself. The story seemed really interesting. You're playing as these uh, you know guardians of this archipelago world, and there's this magical uh, thing called uh, the Divide, I believe, or the Fold, obviously. The fold and fold is sort of like the wall in Game of Thrones. It's protecting us from the the monsters that are on the other side. But oh no, the fold is breaking down. The monsters are getting through. So you need to go in and sort things out. So the story is was was interesting. It pulled me in. The artwork absolutely helps it along with that. But the gameplay is no slouch either. There's tons of things that are familiar to people who play these kind of campaign RPG board games. But on top of that, there is a an innovative new system called the Nexus Grid. Uh, basically, you have a hand of cards. These cards are your actions. And every turn, everyone's going to choose one that sort of determines their initiative order. And then when it's your turn, you're going to slot it into the grid. And you you put it onto a space in the grid, and then you choose either a, a row or a column, including that card that you just placed. And that will... Uh, and then you activate everything in that row or column. So if there are other cards there that you've played in previous turns, you get extra powers. But even if you haven't, there's symbols on the grid itself that give you something else you can do. So it has this really interesting puzzle of like trying to figure out the best value for your turn. And on top of that, if you have filled a row or column and you use that uh, that row or column, then you have to discard all of those cards. So there's a lot of really interesting timing to this game. I think that uh, the Tidal Blades is just fantastic. I... I unreservedly recommend uh, checking it out. But those are the three games that I covered this month, so I will pass it back to you, Rado. Bye, folks. Okay, thank you, Shay. Those are very, very cool. You are making me regret not having taken on Tidal Blades for myself, uh, because that also sounds really, really nice. But... With Shay out of the way, we are now going to talk about the games Jen and I played. And I think I've got 16, if I recall correctly. Don't hold me to that. I have been known to make goofs from time to time. And what I'm going to do for starters is talk about... Oh, what would you call it? Uh, Expansions. Expansions that caught our eye, and uh, we sat down and played. I think I've got a countdown of just three of those, and then I'll have 13 actual games after I do my little mini expansion slash 2.0 offshoot. Right? Okay, then. Well, without any further ado, let's uh, start my countdown with my number three on the list, Tang Garden Seasons. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to expect with this one. I played Tang Garden when uh, it was on Kickstarter a million years ago, quite frankly. And I always thought it was a very, very clever 
uh, a tile laying game, communal tile laying game, you know, along the lines of a Carcassonne. And I thought there were some very neat ideas, and it had amazing components, which unfortunately kind of got in the way of gameplay a tiny bit. And um, there was also some randomness that just didn't really quite sit with me, so we thought it was smart, and oh my gosh, was it popular. Tang Garden was such a monster hit for publisher Thundergriff. But, um... Cut to a few years later, they contact me again and say, Hey, uh, would you be interested in the new expansion? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Oh, it's co-op. I'm like, what? Co-op? A cooperative tile laying game? Yes, please. Because where is our cooperative tile laying games? I had to give this a go. Tile laying is one of my favorite mechanisms, and yet uh, a pure tile layer is 99 times out of 100 going to be a competitive game, you know, inspired by your carcassones and whatnot. So I could not wait to give this a go, and it works fantastically. It works great as a solo game or a co-op game where players have are racing against time because we're still doing all the same, um, you know, tile laying and, and tile draft of the original game, but we're working together instead of at cross-purposes, trying to help each other rather than trying to hinder each other. So of course we're going to enjoy it more. But the interesting thing is, it's called Seasons because the co-op mode, I believe, is Summer. And that's just one of the seasons. There are a bunch of additional modules that have been thrown into the game as well. Um, And they add all kinds of new stuff, like worker placement. They really elevate the overall game, and I was very impressed. But I have to say, uh, I was pulled in for the co-op, and I was not disappointed at all with my number three expansion of the month, Tang Garden Seasons. Then we move on to number two, Terraforming Mars, the Ares Expedition. And uh, I'm not actually quite sure what the name of this is. It actually has three names, Crisis, Foundations, and uh, another one. Oh, Discovery, Foundations, Crisis. And uh, like Tang Gardens before it, this is an expansion or expansions that adds a whole bunch of different unique elements uh, to the original game. You want to play uh, Ares Expedition with five or six players? You got it. You want to add, um, you know, upgradable action cards, which are awesome. They so elevate this game. I love them so much. You got it. There's a lot of really cool. You want to add events or, um, you know, um, objectives, objectives, medals, the same kind of stuff that originally got added to Terraforming Mars. You got it. Those are all very, very cool. But once again, that's not what pulled me in. I was pulled in by the co-op game. Oh, yeah. Interestingly, uh, Terraform Mars Ares Expedition came in the original box with an okay variant that would work co-op. It was all right, but I don't think anybody would ever get the game for that. But the new, again, it makes it a really solid solo game or a really interesting and compelling co-op where players have so many interesting ways to work with each other. You know, the idea of the original game, Race for the Galaxy style, of everybody in secret picking what their action is going to be and then hoping they can figure out what the other players do, it's so game-changing to openly discuss, okay, is anybody going to develop this turn? Because I really need to do it, but I am actually desperate to get some more money. So, okay, I wasn't going to do Okay, I'll do it, because I think I can do this other thing. That level of collusion is Wonderful, and it's um, you know it makes me want to play a co-op San Juan. Um, anyway, or, or, but uh, I was absolutely just tickled pink with it. Uh, we already really really liked Ares Expedition, although if you watch my original run through for it, I did have a few problems with it. And most interestingly, in my original run through, I talked about a solution I suspected would work, 
It turns out they have now taken that solution with this expansion and made it an official variant way to play. A way to bring in the dummy player into the two-player game so it's as deep and rich as it is a higher player count. And just that simple little thing that that rule has now been made official made me so happy. But what I really came for and what I got, what I wanted, was a compelling co-op game uh, that is uh, quite unlike any of them out there. It's built from the ground up with it in mind. It's not an afterthought. It's sharp. It's fun. It's my number two, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, oh, uh, Discovery, Foundations, Crisis. You'll have to check out the Kickstarter page, folks, when it goes live in March. I don't know if these are like three separate things that are boxed together. I'm not quite sure. I have not seen it myself uh, on the crowdfunding page, but it'll be coming soon. But without any further ado, one that have already covered my number one expansion, although it's not an expansion, it is a... uh, it's 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 a 2.0 is Lagranha the Deluxe Master Set. And oh, I'm so happy with this. Lagranha has for the longest time been in my top 50 games of all time. Absolutely brilliant. If I recall correctly, I think it was a debut design. Uh, and I, you know, we were blown away by it. I've held on to it for years. It's one of the games that actually made the trip back from when we lived in Malta back to the United States. We loved it so much. But I recently got rid of my original first edition Lagranha because I knew this was coming and it odds so much. Both those previous games add a bunch of modules, but they got nothing on Lagranha. There are so many new cool modules that can mix this game up and provide so many fun new variations of the core gameplay. No co-op, or at least none yet, that I've seen. Sadly, oh, that would have been amazing. But, I mean, you've got designers like Steffen Feld, my favorite designer of all time, stepping up to the plate and adding a new gameplay that enriches the overall experience without watering it down. Oh, man. And so now, when you play this, if you get the Deluxe Master Set, every time you play, you're going to mix two or three different of all these different modules and get a unique experience every time you play. I already love Lagranha so much, I love it even more now. So that was my number one expansion slash 2.0 Lagranha Deluxe Master Set. But now, that was talking about, you know, expansions of existing stuff. Let's talk about some new stuff. Starting with um, my number 13, Ariantis, which is actually... I say this is new, but it's not really. It is from designer Paolo Mori, who has been working um, you know, in the industry for decades. And he's always been an incredibly sharp and quirky offbeat designer. His designs are always really far out. And Ariantis is basically a new version. I actually, maybe I should have put this in the other list, actually. Uh, it's a new retake of Carolus Magnus, one of his more popular designs from like 10 or 15 years ago. And the interesting thing is, this is at its heart a very fresh. You know, it feels modern. There's nothing that feels old or outdated about this. Um, you know, if you had if 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 Carol's Magnus had a disc, people playing this would say, "Oh my gosh, this just feels like it was designed yesterday" because it's so full of really cool new ideas. But it's an area control game where in the original game we were in ancient Rome trying to you know wrangle the provinces of Rome. Um, and, you know, by doing area control. Now it's a fantastical academy type situation where there are these floating islands, and we are. Trying trying to deploy 
students uh, onto the islands who we have the favor of. Because what we're also, at the same time, trying to get every majority on these islands so we can control them. And the interesting thing is the islands ultimately float together to become bigger and more valuable. But at the same time we're doing that, we are also trying to um, get the favor of the professors who teach these different students. Because the thing is, there might be a whole bunch of uh, pixie students on a given island. And that's really great because I have the favor of the pixie professor. So this island is mine. You've got two options. You could ignore it and fight for other islands, or you could try to move in students that work well for you, or you could turn the pixie professor to your side. And then all of a sudden, those forces that belong to me, they're gone. And now, am I going to be able to get that back? It's a really clever system where you've got multiple um, you know, individual battles. Battles for control over the professors. Battle for control over the islands. And then, that's original Carolus Magnus I'm talking about. This new version has brought in um, special player powers, all kinds of more modern things, and it's fantastic. The only reason it comes in at the bottom of my list is... It's an area control game. It's a, and it can be uh, pretty hardcore uh, in your face, and you know huge turns where oh, I thought I had this, and somebody's you know skulking around shadows and makes a big move, and suddenly the whole world changes. Like I worked so hard for that, and you stole it from me. Brilliant, super smart, but very cutthroat in the best possible way. So if you like area control battles and you want something that is. Like I said, feels like it was just designed yesterday. A brand new design, and yet it has stood the test of time. People love Carol's Magnus. That's a game that still gets played today. Well, you might want to check out number 13, Ariantis. Then we've got number 12, Static Blood Moon, uh, which, by the way, is a paid Kickstarter preview. The game should be coming out in March. It might have been pushed till April. I'm not sure about that. But it is a very, very cool I'm going to say abstract, two-player battle of wits. This is a dice drafting game where at the beginning of each round, the game plays through three rounds, you roll a ton of colorful 10-sided dice all over the board and separate them into different sections. And on your turn, it's super simple. This game is so elegant. You simply take two dice and add them to, I believe it's called a dodecagon that you have on your board. And what you're trying to do is you are trying to either create pairs, and or three of a kinds, um, or straights, like a four, five, six, a one, two, three, at the edge of each of the triangles of your dodecagon, but also along the outer rim of your dodecagon. So every die that you are placing has three scoring potentials. What comes, what else is on its personal triangle, what comes before it on the outskirts, and what goes after it on the outskirts. And what seems so incredibly simple, just every turn, grab two dice, you have to grab different colored dice, unless you have special powers that let you break the rules and like grab the same die or go to the place you not normally can't normally go to get wilds. It's super sharp. Very fun. Jen loved it. She really, really dug this. And there's an interesting thing about the game, too. I said it plays over three rounds. The first round is very simple. All you're trying to do is get matches on the outer edge of the triangles. The second round, you're only trying to get the outer circumference of the dodecagon. The third and final round, where it gets really crunchy, is when you're trying to complete both those objectives. And if you only play the third round, which is what Jen I found was the most fun, because it's really super crunchy, you've got one of the crunchiest, um, you know, puzzliest, 
uh, filler games for two players you've ever seen. Because you can get sit down and play this game for a solid 10-15 minutes, and yet it is a brain-busting solid 10 or 15 minutes. But then on top of that, if, you, if you're playing with your kids or something like that, you can play on just the triangle version, so it gets a little bit simpler. So there's a lot of flexibility to this game, too. I, I, I really respect it, generally loved it. My only problem is, the reason it comes in so low is, it is an abstract game. I mean, there's there's a there's ostensibly a theme about returning the sun because we've all been lost under the static blood moon. But this is a an abstract dice drafting game. I need a little bit more story in my games, but the gameplay is super sharp. And Jen absolutely loved it. This would rate much higher on her personal list. It comes in for me at number twelve, Static Blood Moon. Then we go on to number 11, uh, Tamashi, which is another paid Kickstarter preview. By the way, I should say that, um, oh, what was it? Terraforming Mars, Tang Garden, and um, LeGrandha were also Kickstarter. Man, this month, the month of February, I don't I have never seen such a high number of amazing Kickstarters coming out. Of course, this always happens every year that you know we take pretty much the month of November and December off, and then in January and February, a ton of great new crowdfunding games come out, and February is no different. I've gotten so many amazing titles. So you're going to see a higher percentage than normal of Kickstarter previews in this particular rundown. I suspect things will slow down in April and uh, May and probably go back to the normal, okay, well, it's uh, two retail games for everyone one Kickstarter, but this month it was the other way around. But anyway, sorry, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about uh, Tamashi, which is a very, very cool game that'll be on GameFound, not on Kickstarter. And uh, and by the way, folks, if you just check the links down in the show notes, anything that is a crowdfunding game, you will find links to the uh, Kickstarter pages for those games if you want to learn more about them or or mark that, hey, I'd like to be notified when the game goes live, etc., etc. What is a Tamashi? I would describe it as Blade Runner meets The Terminator. And that is a very, very cool combination because it, it's a you know it's a Blade Runner cyberpunk neo noir world where we're running around dealing with robots and stuff like that. But in this world, the AI, the robots, have taken over, and um, humanity is on the run. So you've got two really great storytelling franchises that blend together really nicely, because this is a campaign story-driven game. You can play any of the chapters standalone, or you can play through a narrative where you meet characters and go on adventures and you know play through multiple connected adventures. Your choice either way. That's all the narrative and the presentation, which is all great. The art looks fantastic. The game looks stunning. But forget about all that. I was always interested in Tamashibi because of the uh, gameplay. Because it has two halves. There is the meat world, the physical world, where we're running around, um, having adventures, interacting with people, fighting monsters, going on the run, you know, solving quests. But then we have our own player board off to the side, which is the digital world. And on that, we are literally playing a sliding glass, or a, a sliding puzzle game, a mini game, that is driven by bag building. Think Orleans. Uh, bag building that plugs into a sliding puzzle so that we can program um, our moves to be able to meet the needs of whatever is going on, whatever we run across in this cyberpunk world. And it's so sharp. That is a fun, constantly evolving puzzle, plus all the bag building is great. Um, but it the way it uh, combines with the actual adventure gameplay on the main board, it, it is sublime. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was one of my favorite games I played this month. It's coming in a little bit higher. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of Static Blood Moon uh, because my wife thought the gameplay was great, but she did not like the grim and dour and depressing, oh, humanity is screwed, dark, neo-noir, Blade Runner future. If this had been a high fantasy game, 
Although I don't know how the programming would work there. I guess you'd call them spells or something like that. Then I think she would have been as uh, enjoying as much as me, and it probably would have pushed into my top five for us combined. Uh, but I recommend it highly. It should be coming pretty soon to GameFound as well. My number 11, Tamashi. And now let's move on to my number 10 of the month, Art Deco, which um, is a very, very cool little deck building game um, from designer Tate Wu. And I have always been a fan of Tate ever since I played a uh, very, very cool logical deduction game of his many, many years ago. So I'm always on the lookout for what he's doing next. And um, we really, really like deck builders. And my wife is a professional glass artist. So things set in the world of art are certainly interesting to her. And I got to say, we had a really fun time playing this game. In uh, Art Deco, which is spelled D-E-C-K. Get it? It's a deck builder. Anyway, maybe you don't care for that, but let me tell you about the game. Don't hold that against it, those kinds of uh, title puns. We are art collectors, and our deck represents all the different types of art we have. And the game has several different suits, like uh, different types of art. You know, modern, uh, classical, um, you know, uh, kind of ancient art designs and whatnot. And over the course of the game, when you got in your hand, you can use those works of art as money to be able to buy more art and put that into your deck so you're expanding your collection. But, um, you know, and that's typical deck building type stuff. But one of the things you want to do with your pieces of art is put them on display at one of the five different uh, exhibitions at a museum. Because what happens is, when you put, say, one of your art deco pieces on display, well, not only do you potentially unlock certain bonuses, because there's these different bonuses that are put in all the different exhibits, and we're racing to be the first uh, or the second place to get points, and unlock powers and all of that. But not only do you do that, you make Art Deco art pieces more valuable. And if you have a deck full of Art Deco pieces, all of a sudden, you've got a deck full of a lot more money to buy more stuff. And the tricky thing is, so does everybody else around the table because a, uh, a rising tide floats all boats. If I made Art Deco more valuable, it affects everyone in the game. And so if people see me investing in a lot of Art Deco, they know I'm probably going to try to drive the price up on that. And they might decide, oh, those are going to go up in the future. I should grab some of those, not because I ever were going to bother trying to put them on display, but because they know I'm going to do it, uh, their opponent, and so they could piggyback off that. It's really interesting. Like Dominion, this is a deck builder where you can just buy more money cards. Although it's interesting, the money cards come with special powers that are one-time uses as well, so that's actually really cool. But you could win this game never getting a single equivalent of a gold or a silver or a copper because the arts works themselves that you're putting become more and more and more valuable as the game goes on. And that is fascinating. It really creates a very unique feel. And the deck building you're doing is so much more interactive because you've constantly got to be paying attention to what other players are um, speculating on. Because maybe you should be doing that too. Even if you don't plan on ever doing anything with it other than just converting them into money in your back pocket, it's very, very sharp. And it was our number 10 of the month, Art Deco. Then we go on to number nine, The Great Wall, which is a fantastic, oh, what would you call it? Um, tower defense game, I suppose. We, the, the Great Wall of China has fallen into disrepair. 
and the hordes are coming, and they are going to overrun the capital unless we can invest our time and efforts into raising and rallying troops. Uh, and there's all different kinds of troops you can get. And by the way, the miniatures in this game are fantastic. But even if you get the lower cost version, which doesn't have miniatures, it has meeples, it comes with stickers for all the meeples. So the mini the meeples look fantastic too. It's a great, great production on this game. But anyway, you are uh, doing very unique and interesting worker placement to be able, like I said, to rally more troops that you can deploy out into the fields to fight or to get the resources you need to rebuild the wall or other barricades that will protect. And that's the main way you score points. You have to please the emperor by um, you know achieving all these goals and saving the land. What drives all of it, though, as a very interesting action selection mechanism is everybody has a hand of cards. And when you on your turn, everybody chooses in a round. Everybody's going to pick simultaneously what card they're going to do. Everybody has access to the same cards, whether you're going to get resources or hire troops or build or whatever it might be. And when you uh, everybody reveals at the same time what card they're playing. And on each card, there's stuff that I, the person who played it, gets to do. And there's stuff you get to do. And then there's a third thing on the card that maybe I get to do if one of my opponents played a different type of card. So it's a really interesting twist on, you know, we've seen this, you know, ever since Race for the Galaxy in San Juan, the idea of, you know, cards where, hey, if I do something, other people get to do like a lesser version of it. This is kind of the same, but really takes that to a whole new level and does very, very interesting stuff in it because you might do radically different things than I am going to do based on the card I played. And I might be able to do stuff depending on if I can anticipate that you're going to play a different card. And so all of that is very cool. It's also really cool the way worker placement works because several of the action spots you're sending your workers to will not activate until a certain number of spaces has been filled. And chances are you can't do it all yourself. You only have so many clerks, I believe is what your workers are called. So when somebody sees you starting to send workers out to one of these places that has a lot of spaces to fill, you better believe other places say, oh, I wasn't planning on doing that, but maybe I should jump in on that action too um, because I'd like to get a little something out of that just by one worker and I could help finish that. Or you say, oh, I have no desire to do that. If I jump in there, I'll be helping them and they probably need it. I'll just stay away and let their poor worker languish and not get anything done. And then that player has to figure out, oh crap, nobody's joining me. What am I going to do? Ah! So it's a it's cl multiple clever systems that drive a very sharp worker placement game. And then there's one other thing I didn't mention. You can play this competitively or cooperatively. And uh, I have to admit, I really enjoyed the co-op mode. A lot of times if a game does co-op and competitive, it feels like the co-op is just kind of an afterthought, but not here. It is rich and deep and meaningful. And um, you know the whole idea of, oh, I will play a card that gives you something to do on your turn takes on a whole new level of importance when um, you need something desperately to do and you want me to play a particular card, but I want to play a different card. But we're working together. How are we going to compromise and figure out what's best for all of us? Really sharp, really fun. Um, it was a monster hit was on Kickstarter. I totally missed it then, but I got the retail copy and both Jen and I enjoyed the competitive and the cooperative side of number nine, The Great Wall. But now let's move on to number eight, uh, Autobahn. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, this is a game that I believe is going to go on crowdfunding um, sometime in March. I do not have a date for it yet, but uh, I've, I've done an early preview for it, and it is a very, very impressive game. I have to admit, I had a deep and really hardcore interest in the subject matter, an economic euro that is all about tracking the progress of Germany after World War II all the way up to the modern day as they rebuilt their economy. And the main driver of their economy was the development of their their famous motorway, the Autobahn. And an interesting thing is, because this game covers such a huge, almost a century of development, one of the big things is the game is split into three eras. And at the end of the third era, which I guess you could say is our modern today type era, that begins in the 1990s during German reunification. For about two-thirds of the game, the upper left, the uh, the northeast quadrant of the board is completely cut off. We can't get into the uh, Soviet bloc countries. We can't get into East Germany. We just develop and um, watch as West Germany prospers. And we are all... Uh, it's a competitive game. We're all trying to do our best to uh, make sure Germany uh, you know, uh, rises as fast as it can, but so much of this game is about, oh, I see you just extended the motorway over to that new city over there. Oh, well, that means I could now extend off of you and reach um, Amsterdam, which I have an objective that I need to get to Amsterdam. Thank you very much. Players are constantly creating opportunities for each other. But in addition to all that, all this route building stuff, um, which then leads to literally pick up and deliver. Um, The thing is, Jen and I both agree, we can't stand pick up and deliver. It's like literally one of our least... I would almost rather play a roll and move game if you did something clever with it um, than I would a pick up and deliver game. I actually played some good roll and move games. Merlin from Stephen Feld is a great roll and move game. Anyway though, sorry. It's neither here nor there. Um, Pick up and deliver never really works for us. And this game has a lot of it. Because as we build these uh, motorways up, one of the big ways to score points is, um, you know, get these growing industries in these major cities delivering their goods to other countries via the Autobahn that we built. Here's the thing that makes it brilliant, though. If you spend a turn to load up a truck, um, that's it. The truck drives itself. You have you are not required to spend action after action after action slowly moving that truck from the north down to the motorway so it can get to Amsterdam and drop off those appliances so you can get whatever whatever it is your goal is chasing for. Instead, the gameplay is driven. It's a it's a worker placement game, although your workers are cards. And these cards represent the different autobahns. Do if I play a green card, that means I'm working on the green autobahn this turn. If I play a red card, the red autobahn. And don't worry, there, there are color-friendly uh, symbols and all that, so you don't have to worry um, uh, if, I, if I recall correctly. I believe that's the case. The interesting thing is um, you, you play one of these color cards to say, oh, I'm going to extend, or I'm going to build stations, or I'm going to upgrade, or whatever it might be. But the thing is, those trucks that you loaded up a while ago and are just sitting out there waiting, you never spend a turn making them move. Instead, if I play a red Autobahn card so I can do work on the red Autobahn, and I have a truck on the red Autobahn, the truck will drive automatically by itself. And so once you've got trucks on the board, everything becomes a puzzle of, right, okay, my truck, next turn, it's going to move from the red to the black Autobahn, and that means next turn, I'm going to want to play a black card so that I can have the truck keep going. 
but what do I want to do on the Black Autobahn? Oh, nobody's built a station over there. But station, I don't get any special bonuses because I didn't become an administrative genius at stations. I'm really more about the truck logistics. Do I do this anyway? So the fact that even though this is a heavy pickup and deliver game, but the pickup and deliver happens automatically as kind of like a bonus action I get to do when picking what I want to do each round. It is brilliant. It has done what seems to me to be the impossible. Made a pickup and deliver game that Jen and I really enjoy. Uh, which is why I was so, so very impressed with our number eight, Autobahn. And again, that was a paid preview for our games coming on Kickstarter pretty soon. But let's now move on to number seven, Hamlet. And, um, you know, again, full disclosure, this was a paid preview. I'm about a game I'm about to talk about. I should also mention... This is a game that was designed by a friend of mine. So um, just a little bit of extra declaration. But you know what? You never have to worry about what my personal opinion of a game is. Just go watch the run-through. It's live right now because Hamlet is um, you know, fundraising as we speak. And I loved it. Jen loved it too. This was one of our favorites. We're getting into our favorites of the stuff we played this month. It is a communal tile-laying game where everybody's working um, you know, competitively. We're all trying to be the best contributor to the growth of our Hamlet so we can become a town. We are are laying tiles. We're, first of all, we're drafting tiles, spending money in a, oh, what would you call it? A small world way. Where, oh, I want that third one. That means I got to pay to skip the first and the second, making those attractive for players. That's always a great mechanism. I don't know why we don't see it more. It was uh, great in, um, oh, uh, not Splendor, but the uh, Splendor Killer. Oh, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so uh, the drafting is fun. The uh, tiling is particularly interesting because of these tiles. I have never seen such weird, funky-shaped tiles. But it's important that they're weird and funky-shaped because it is. this is not a regimented grid or hex pattern we're trying to build into. It feels much more natural and flowing and organic because of all these oddly-shaped tiles. As we uh, exp- expand the hamlet so we can get more goods production or goods conversion stuff. But the true beating heart of this game is not making the goods, but transporting the goods so that we can get them to new sites so we can build more stuff. This is a game of of, uh, goods transportations logistics. Because while you can invest and get more and more workers that will activate all the different tiles to do various and sundry actions, it's almost like kind of worker placement game, but not really. It's a worker movement game. There's another type of worker you have. Donkeys, which again, the game comes with cool little donkey meeples. My prototype just had discs for the donkeys, sadly. But you want to be creating as the hamlet gets bigger and grows in unexpected ways because of these weird, um, organic, oddly shaped tiles. You want to get more and more of your donkeys spread all over the land because if you can create a chain of donkeys from one tile to another, any goods can instantly travel along there. And if you can't, you can't get the goods out there to the far eastern fringe of your hamlet, which you desperately need to do so that you can activate the building that's there or build another building that you want to build because it's part of a secret objective you have or whatever it might be, or public objective, I should say. It's really great. Um, The... uh, Worker, again, not worker placement. The more workers you have, they all stay on the board all the time. It's just that they can zip around from place to place. Players don't block each other. Um, it's it, it's really just a, a very straightforward action selection mission that's nice and fast and satisfying. It's building up those transportation networks. Although, interestingly, it's not a pick-up-and-deliver game because you focus on the network of donkeys. Once you've done that, you can zip stuff all around the place just like that lickety-split. And it's so satisfying. And you 
you can reprogram your networks. If, oh, I don't care about the Eastern um, Front anymore. I need to start striving south. You can take actions to redeploy the donkeys elsewhere rather than the very expensive hiring new donkeys. But then all of a sudden, something really great happens on the Eastern Front. Are you going to move your donkeys back over there so you can get the goods transported? It's a fun, fast-playing game. It doesn't look like any other tile layer that's ever come out. If you're watching, just look at what's on screen. Um, and again, I, I love the quirkiness of it. I love the callback to some of my favorite PC games of all time, Surf City or The Settlers or Deseedler. This game was literally inspired by those. Again, the designer's a friend of mine. I've talked to him about it, and we thought it was great. Number seven of the month, Hamlet. But even better is number six, Pessoa. This is a very interesting game uh, based on the uh, tr- one of the most famous poets in uh, history, a Portuguese poet named Fernando Pessoa, uh, you know, who was really active around the early 1900s. And what he was mostly known for is that he had a whole bunch of pen names that he wrote under. But he didn't just like use these, uh, you know, to publish in different magazines. He actually created entire lives for these other characters, this whole coterie of people. And not only did he just create these fictional backstories for them, he would actually live their lives. He would actually go out in the world and say, oh, no, I'm not Fernando Pessoa. I'm this other person. And he would live their lives. And um, so it's a really fascinating guy. When he wrote, he he wrote in completely different voices about completely different topics because that's what these other people that were in his head would write about. And it's, it's, it's a brilliant, interesting piece of history for, again, one of the most renowned and influential poets of all time. Time, uh, according to the rule book. Um, but what's interesting in terms of gameplay is this is a worker placement game. And each player takes on the role of one of those they're called heteronyms. One of the specific real-world historical um personages that he created. We all have special powers. We are all trying to exert our influence over the man, Pessoa himself. Because on our turn, we can use a worker that represents us, a fictional character. And that character can go to certain places and do certain things. And that represents Pessoa changing his outfit and going out as a person. But this has got to be the tightest worker placement game in board game history. Um, there are just not enough worker placement spots. You are constantly, on your, on your given turn, usually you only have one place you could choose to go. And you might think, oh, that's terribly frustrating. I don't want to play a worker placement game where I don't have any choices of where to go. But that's the interesting thing. The primary resource you have in this game is creative energy. And you can use your creative energy to take control of the real Pessoa. Because Pessoa can go anywhere he wants, anytime he wants, because he's the real person. We're just figments of his imagination, so we're really limited and restricted in what we can do. So, oh, I only got one place to go. Now, if you can play smart and you can anticipate what that place is going to be, that what other what your opponents are going to leave you, then you don't have to spend your creative energy actually making Pessoa go where you want to go. You can go to the place, and then you can send that creative energy drafting cards. These cards are snippets of the real poems of the man himself. And what we're racing to do is create new poems that will stand the test of time. It's a wonderful theme. It is an odd, quirky worker placement game. You've never played another one like it. Again, a worker placement game where there's no place to place your workers unless you are willing to give up your most precious resource and you need that for other things. So you are so hugely lockstep tied to the actions of other players. I mean, that's always the case for worker placement games. There's always the potential that, oh, I'm blocked out of a place, but you've never seen one like this. And um, it really puts the screws to you, creates a lot of tension, and makes you requires you to come up with some very clever and creative on-the-fly thinking, which is so appropriate because Pessoa himself was a very creative and clever man. That was my number six, Pessoa. Then, let's talk about number five, 
Pilgrim. Oh yeah. This is a Moncal game that's live on GameFound right now, if I recall correctly. And this might be my Jen's... Uh, yeah, my wife Jen's... This would be her number one of the month. I'm pretty sure. Or would number four be? No, it's this. Is, if this wasn't her number one, it was certainly her number two or her number three. It's my number five. So I, I don't need to dwell on that too terribly long. It's a great, great game. What is it? It is a Moncala game. And uh, I have loved Moncalas ever since I first played Steffenfeld's Trajan. I think they're... I mean, they are a game design mechanism that has been with our species for literally millennia. And anytime a game like Pilgrim can come along and fundamentally redefine a mechanism that has existed in our culture for millennia... I sit up and take notice, and that's what this game does. Because it is a Moncala. Uh, a Moncala, in case you don't know, is a game where you've got all these bowls um, you know, scattered around the board, and you activate a bowl, pick up all the pieces that belong to you in it, and then you seed them on subsequent bowls. And in a regular Moncala game, you activate the last bowl you're seeding. I mean, for uh, hundreds of years, these were literally just dirt uh, holes that we would dig in the dirt, and we would literally use seeds to play them. I mean, it's you know some of our oldest game artifacts are Moncala from you know the Roman ages of I recall correctly. Anyway, though, what this game does with Moncalls is several things. One, turns the whole idea on its head, because after you've picked up your seeds, your workers, your pilgrims, because in this game it's 14th century England, and we are benevolent members of the church who are just trying to raise money so we can give it away to the poor and needy. That is how we succeed in this game. The more we give to the people, the closer we come to ascending and, and winning the game. So I love that. Um, you know, It's something we could all be reminded of. Certainly, uh, we reminded of you in the beginning of this episode, uh, you know, because there's people all around the world who need help. So I love the story here. But back to the Moncala. One of the most important, two important things. One is after you've seeded all the bowls, you can activate any bowl on the board. You don't have to activate the last one you put in. You don't have to activate one you even put a seed in. You could be setting those up for the future and you're going to activate something on the other side of the board. So this is a Moncala with an unprecedented degree of freedom that is really wonderful. And then on top of that, the Moncala branches. Uh, because uh, you know there are certain places that are very, very difficult to get to, but you can kind of take shortcuts if you want to to get to other areas that are really easy to do. Because instead of just continually circling or orbiting around the outer board, you can um, cut across the board uh, via these rivers and just like repeat the same actions over and over again if you want. And these two things make a Moncala quite on. Un- I've played a lot. I've played, I think, almost all of the modern Moncala games post Trajan. And none of them redefine the mechanism as much as Pilgrim does. And then on top of that, it's a really satisfying game because are, we're doing the Moncala to generate goods to do a bunch of stuff. We're trying to create pilgrimage roads to holy sites. We're trying to create um, open um, mercantile roads uh, you know, with major uh, foreign cities. We are trying to gather stuff to give to the poor. We are trying to gather stuff so that we can build. We can build these buildings that will give us access to special powers, but at some point or other, and other players can come to our buildings and we get paid for it. Love all that kind of stuff. What I love most about the buildings in this game, though, is eventually you get to the point where, I don't think I need this building anymore. I'll give it to the poor as well and score a lot of points on it before the game ends. So the the, the game is really, really clever. Uh, You're always tight on your pilgrims, the meeples that you're trying to move around. You can bring more of them from your abbey in the country or you can leave them in the country so that they can make the main actions on the maid more more powerful. There's a lot going on. It's a really sharp game. Like I said, it's live on GameFound right now. I definitely, if if you love really interesting, fresh, crunchy Euros, you owe it to yourself to to check out number five, Pilgrim. Then we've got number four, Ahau, Rulers 
of the Yucatan. Rulers of the Yucatan. Another paid preview. I think this is on uh, crowdfunding right now, too. It might have also been on GameFound. Again, links for all that's going to be down in the show notes. I can't remember all of them. Like I said, February was a very odd month. Um, two uh, crowdfunding games for every one retail game. Like I said, I think cha- things will change back to normal in next month. We'll see. Um, anyway, sorry though. What is a how rulers of the Yucatan all about? Well, uh, we're at the height of the Mayan Empire. We are doing simultaneous card play. Every round, we play two cards, and all these cards are numbered one to six, if I recall correctly. One of the cards, the one we play to the left of our board, says, what region of the, Pen- of the Yucatan Peninsula do we want to send our tribal leader so that we can interact with that portion of the board? The card we play to the right, which again is numbered one through six, uh, that says, how badly do we want to go there? If you, The higher the number, the more likely you are that if multiple people go to the same place, that you are to kick them out. The lower the number you play, the more likely you are to be kicked out yourself. And so... This is really interesting. You can say it's kind of an area control worker placement game because you can never be sure when you say, oh, this is the action I want to do. Am I actually going to get to do it? Or is somebody else going to kick me out? And the problem is, oh, I could use this this high value five card to ensure I don't get kicked out of region two where I'm trying to go. But after I've done this, I've just thrown away my number five card, which means I can't go to region five now. And so you are constantly having to make tough sacrifices. Um, and it's interesting. While I talked about how, you know, usually it's general rule, oh, I want to go to region two. I don't want to get bumped out. Sometimes you do want to get bumped out because I've already used my region three card. I can't get to region three. So I'm going to region two because I think you want to go there. And I'm going with the weakest card I can because I'm hoping you'll go there and that you'll kick me out because that'll let me go back to region three again, which is where I really want to go. So the mind games in this are, are, are wonderful, really interesting and engaging. And then the mechanisms, the rest, are really fantastic, too. Once you actually get your leader to a region, there are cities you can interact with. There are resources you can get to help build these very cool... We've each got our own um, tile-laying pyramid that we're building higher and higher that gives us access to more powers. But then there are these public pyramids that are actually cool little 3D pyramids that if we make the investments in those, um, at the end of a reckoning, after there's a certain number of celebrations, everybody who has gotten in on the ground floor of these 3D pyramids will score points based on certain milestones, how much of a resource was collected, how high a pyramid was built. But the interesting thing is, it's not how well you did at that particular metric. It's how well the best player in the game did. So if everybody can look around and see, wow, Rado's really good at building pyramids. I'll never be that good. You know what I should do? I should invest in a thing that'll give me lots of points when Rado does an amazing job building pyramids. And then as soon as everybody invests, like, oh... I need to stop building my pyramid. I think everybody else is getting more out of this pyramid than I am. Um, or do I keep going? And um, you know that level of connection between players is fantastic. I love simultaneous action selection, and it's really, really interesting and engaging in this game. Um, and then on top of that, just as an aside, I think the developers did a fantastic job. They brought in cultural consultants. They brought in uh, professors of ancient uh, history studies. They actually brought in a modern-day Mayan scribe who is actually active in Guatemala today, still keeping the culture alive, and um, you know, referred to him to make sure they were getting everything just right. I, I doff my cap to the developers of what is already a really fantastic, fun game. Uh, our number four of the month, a uh, how rulers of the Yucatan. But then we go on to uh, number three, Stella. Dixit Universe. And oh boy, I don't know what I thought I was getting into with this. It's interesting. Um, myself, Ruel Gaviola, 
my my co-host on the R&R show, and my wife, Jen, all got together and did a live stream of this game uh, last month in February. And the interesting thing is, the first round of that game was put on YouTube as our run-through, but if you go back and watch the extended version of this, we kept playing and let the audience be the third player, and Roel was like their captain, so they got to make choices. And uh, had a fantastic time. It was so much fun. All three of us agreed, as did the audience. But that's neither here nor there. You just want to know, why is this game ranked so high? Um, Because it's my number three of the month. Well, Dixit has always been... It's interesting, Dixit is the only game we own that is a minimum three-player game. Because every game on my shelves, the hundreds and hundreds of them, all work well with two players. Except for Dixit, because my wife loves Dixit so much. So when a completely new, not just a uh, you know a, a repackaging of Dixit, but a completely new game in the Dixit universe came out with a whole bunch of new beautiful art cards that um, are completely compatible with regular Dixit, which is awesome. Just getting more Dixit cards is uh, worth the price of admission. But this is a new game that takes the core idea of Dixit, where every round we are actually trying to figure out um, what cards from all these beautiful cards best fits the story that is being told this round. That's the core idea of Dixit. It's the core idea here. But in this game, players don't tell the story. Instead, the game comes like code names with a big deck of cards. And every round, you got all these pieces of art. We draw a card and everybody tries to figure out which of these cards best fits honor or plastic, or any number of things. Um, you know, it's, it's a wide range of topics that appear on these cards. And everybody's looking, oh, okay, honor. Well, okay, that's got a, a guy, a little kid. He could be pretending to be a knight. That's an honorable thing. I'm going to pick that. And we all pick in secret. We all have a dry uh, wipe erase board that we mark all the cards we think match. Everybody does it simultaneously. Everybody does it in secret. Everybody's trying to figure out um, the cards that best match. But here's the trick. You do not want to be the only person to pick a card because then that means you bust and you're, you're, it's, it, there's going to be pain. So you want to pick stuff that other players are going to pick. But um, you want to pick stuff that only one other player is interested in. Because uh, the theme of this game is we are star catchers, each trying to capture light from the nighttime sky. Each card represents a star. So if uh, you and I are the only ones to pick this particular card for honor, then we both get maximum points out of it because we split the starlight amongst ourselves. If there's a third player or more who also pick that, then okay, well, we don't bust, but we don't get as much. So, it's a really interesting, delicate balancing act of, well, I mean, trying to pick ones that you know are safe and you'll get some points, but also trying to risk and pick ones that, okay, this is a little bit more far out. The connection between the secret word that the game chose and this card, I get it, but will anybody else get it? You know what? I think Jen will get it. Because we both saw that movie t- uh, last week. And if she recognizes the same thing, because it kind of looks like that one character in that one movie, and that was an honorable character, yes, okay, I'm going to take a chance. Because if she picked it for the same reason, then boom, we get mega points. And so, this is still a game all about trying to get into the mind of your opponents. But it is... The original Dixit is a game, but just barely. It's an activity that uh, you know masquerades as a game. Dixit, um, or Stella, which is the Italian word for starlight, I believe, or maybe it's stars. Stella, Dixit Universe, is an actual proper game. There are push-your-luck elements. There is resource collection. There's really interesting extra stuff. And now some people would hate that. Some people don't want to sully the beautiful purity of Dixit. I totally get that. I love Dixit too. 
I think this game is better than Dixit because of the gameplay elements that were brought in as well um, that really elevated to the next level. Jen loved it too. Ruel loved it. The audience loved it. We were all thought we were going to like it. None of us thought we'd come away thinking, oh my gosh, is this better than Dixit? One of the best party games of all time. Maybe it is. I think it is. It's my number three of the month. Stella, Dixit Universe. And we're almost done, folks. Let's move on to our number two, Rolling Heights, which is another game that I believe is very successful on Kickstarter. And it is an awesome SimCity-style building game. There's a common map that everybody is trying to... Um, build our buildings on. Uh, you know, we're, we're grabbing tiles, putting them out on the map. That gives us specific targets. We need so many of this block, or blocks that represent glass, blocks that represent concrete, blocks that represent wood. Because this game, um, you know, covers a broad range of history. It's, it's decades and decades. You start out building small, mostly wooden buildings. You work your way up to concrete. Glass starts showing up more and more. And by the end of the game, you are literally building towering skyscrapers. Little tiny skyscrapers on your board, but still towering. And, um... The whole thing that drives it is the name of the game. Um, rolling, not heights, rolling meeples. Because uh, this is a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, bag building game where you're throwing more and more different colored meeples into your bag every round. You draw some out, you roll them, and you're hoping that when they land in your little tray, they are standing up. Because that means they will produce at maximum effect, whatever it is they do, whether they make building materials or do rule breaking, uh, uh, you know, game changes, all kinds of stuff. There's all the different colors uh, that sh show up in this game. If they're not standing on their feet, they'll still do some action if they're kind of cattywampus standing on their head. And that's great. But if they're lying on their back, then they're not going to get anything done. And this is a push your luck game because you can keep rolling and re rolling trying to get more and more of them to stand up. Um, and once, But once you've gotten half of your hand of meeples all standing up, if you keep rolling and on your next roll, you don't get anybody else standing, or at least Cattywampus standing, you bust and you lose everything. And uh, by the way, this is from designer John D. Clare, who uh, last year gave us Cubitos, which is another great roll and write game all about pushing your luck, busting, rolling, rolling, rolling. That one are rolling cubes uh, or dice. This one are rolling meeples. And I got to say, it's so much fun. Rolling these meeples. It's, it's like these little meeples have a mind of their own. And the interesting thing, too, if you play a dice push your luck game, it is very easy to fall into the trap of, well, statistically likely, I need this or this. So I have a one in three chance. So this is what I should really consider when I'm rolling. And, and both Jen and I are guilty of it, trying to play the odds. What are the odds of a meeple who is going to be standing on its head versus on its feet? There, there, there are no odds. I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody eventually will actually do... I mean, you know one thing is more likely than the other, but this game gives you the freedom to not get so bogged down in probabilistic um, you know, estimations. Just roll and have fun. Because the game also features excellent uh, mitigation. Uh, if you do bust, you don't feel that bad at all. Sometimes you are almost like, oh, I want to bust. Because the meeples I've got are not going to give me what I want. I'd rather bust and get the mitigating thing, please. That'll set me up for the future. So, I went into this game excited about the rolling meeples. I just thought that would be fun. It's not the first game to do rolling meeples, but it's like the heaviest game to do it. Um, although it's still just kind of like a mid-weight game. 
What I didn't expect, and what really surprised me, is how good the city building is. This is a very compelling, one of the most compelling SimCity-inspired games out there, with the constant balance of trying to get the right buildings next to other buildings, trying to get the right resources from your meeples to those buildings. And it's so satisfying, because it comes with these very cool little colorful blocks that stack very high. And I know a lot of people ask me, Rado, aren't they all going to fall over all the time? Jen and I did not have that problem at all. We played this quite a bit, never really had a problem with knocking over buildings. Uh, for people who are worried about it. And we had a blast. So much so, it's my number two, second best game of the month, Rolling Heights. But it's not my number one. My number one, folks, is Unsettled. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a great game. And Unsettled is so good, it retroactively makes it into my top 10 games of 2021. Because I only just recently played it. This is a cooperative deep space exploration, horror, survival game. Although it's light on the horror, it's heavy on the survival. Our ship of scientists has crash-landed on an alien planet. And when I say alien, I mean truly alien. The adventures, the places, the things you see in this game, I almost think they could not be realized in any other form of art, maybe other than comic books, because they're so far out. They're just so not Star Trek alien of the week planet. I mean, you truly feel like you've gone where no man or no one has gone before as you're exploring. The base game comes with two islands, a uh, desert, Arrakis, it's literally called something similar to Arrakis, there's nods to Dune, and a swampy Dagobah type thing. But they are so full of really cool, interesting, fun science fiction. And the writing, this has got to be some of the best writing we have ever seen in the history of board games. Almost a Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy sense of humor, although it pulls it back a little bit. It doesn't go quite so absurd, but there are twinges of that. Um, and intermixed amongst all this, again, I cannot stress just how truly wonderfully alien these worlds are. It's such a joy to explore. It's such a joy to explore that one of the three resources you have to deploy as you are actually trying to explore and survive these planets is wonder. And if that doesn't tell you what the, the, the heart of this game is, that you literally have to exude a sense of wonder in what you are discovering on these, uh, on these uh, planets to be able to survive, I don't know to tell you what will. Also, it's a really great Puzzly Euro too, Puzzly Euro co-op game. Because we have these big chunky dice that represent how much wonder and energy and I, oh, uh, observation... Or awareness. Awareness, I think. Those are the three things you truck in. Because we are not space marines. Nobody has a gun in this game. We are scientists. We are, are crashed on an alien planet. And we're going to science the bleep out of this to survive. So everything is about making scientific discoveries that are truly alien in nature, but translate into very interesting gameplay things. And we're racing against the clock. Because these planets... We're the aliens. It was not made for us. We will not survive if we don't find a way to get off. So we're racing against time. We're making all kinds of wonderful discoveries. We're having wonderful writing. A great sense of, you know, kind of gallows humor suffuses everything. Uh, great production, great art. Everything about this game is wonderful, including the um, atrophy-based gameplay. Because every time we use one of our big dice that represents our wonder, our awareness, or our energy, we rotate it so we're running into less and less. And when we run out of energy, if we keep using that energy die, because we need to for whatever reason, we start... Um, um, plowing through a, uh, a progress track. And when that track fills, everybody gets more exhausted. If everybody gets knocked out, it's game over. So I love everything about this game. I love that I've got six planets. I believe they've been running a new uh, cr um, crowdfunding and they've got like four more planets. I want to get those too. 
Uh, it's interesting. I mean, everybody seems like ever since Gloomhaven, every publisher has to have their big, huge, expansive ton hours and hours and hours of contents mega box and cooperative adventures. And um, yeah, and you know, this is the one from publisher Orange Nebula. I get these. I think they're great. And I think, oh, I'll never get a chance to play this because of the nature of Rado runs through, right? That um, it'll just sit forever, so I might as well just um, you know send it down to the Dice Tower West Library because uh, I'll never get a chance to play it. It's very rare I hold on to them. This one I've held on to. I will, by hook or by crook, make time to revisit these planets because I love this game so much. So did my wife, Jen. We were blown away by it. It's the best game of the month of February 2022 uh, in our minds, and it's one of the 10 best games of 2021. Unsettled. Okay, and that is it. Did you make it to the end, folks? Well, if so, uh, let me know what you thought. Uh, March, like I said, is, there's some really cool stuff that's coming. I In my next roundup next month, I will be talking about all the amazing games I got to play at Dice Tower WestCon. Dice Tower WestCon is why this was uh, 10 days late. Very sorry about that. So, some more games are coming, and I think we're going to be switching away from a lot of crowdfunding Kickstarter games to existing retail games, and I can't wait to tell you. Um, and in closing, folks, uh, one more time, as we mentioned right up front, uh, for the month of March, my wife, if you go to ukraine.rado.com, is raising funds. Let me put it back on screen one more time. Uh, ukraine.rado.com. Although, you can just hit the I from the top right corner screen or follow the link in the show notes to uh, go there. Um, get a one-of-a-kind. Nobody else will ever in history have a Witwit the exact same as yours because everyone is a unique uh, work of love and art that my wife makes. Hello-wee! Um, and you will be supporting the people of Ukraine because 100% of her proceeds goes to care.org. Thank you very much for the support. I know my wife um, you know, appreciates all of you from the bottom of her heart. And uh, we'll be back again in another month, folks. So that was it. Thanks very much for watching. And thanks to sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games. Have a very nice day, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye bye